With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How does the offer of free beer sound to you? Well, as a loyal listener of this show, we'd like to reward you uh, for listening to our show. Uh, and we're going to start doing it now with free beer, as my previous sentence implied. Thanks to our friends at beer52.com. That's beer52.com. You have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers and it's not just a sip you get the whole thing because there's no point in opening it if you're just gonna have a sip and then throw it away so it's eight eight free exclusive craft beers from all around the world all you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash west ham and cover just 4.95 for the postage and what's more stop hammer time listeners get two beers free so that's a total of 10 free beers with just the postage uh, so B52, uh, who are they, you're asking? Beer52.com forward slash West Ham. They are pioneers traversing the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. So no surprise then that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer52, Beer52, deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany. Korea. These are names of countries. Germany, Korea, Norway. Not themes in a way, they're, they're names of countries. Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa. Calif- that's not a, California is not a country. California is a state. So Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, the state of California, Finland, and many, many more countries and states. But not states of mind or states of well-being. States like um, Arizona. But not Arizona, California. Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, California, Finland, and many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, ah, so their roots are in the UK. Beer 5.2 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The UK craft beers, like like UK garage. But not as violent. The beauty of Beer 5.2 is that they don't hold you to ransom. There's no lock-in and you can leave any time. Your first box will be sent to you next day. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment. Which is a play on words, Jim, isn't it? Jim, you're, um, 
Yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah good. It's Pardon. a play on words. Yeah. Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive. And a cheeky... Oh, Jim's here, by the way. Uh, you'll receive... And a cheeky snack is thrown in just to top it all off. You don't like dark beers? Well, choose the light plan. Easy. Go to beer52.com forward slash West Ham to get your first case of eight beers for free. And don't forget, customers get an extra two unmissable beers free. That's beer52.com forward slash West Ham. I thank you. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. I'm Benji Laniardo, uh, today standing in for Podfather Phil, who I think I'm right in saying is currently uh, in the middle of the Red Sea. Is that right, Jim? He's, well, well, he might not actually be right in the middle of well, it. Well, I'm right presuming. Now, but he's, but he's, he's, di- he's on a diving holiday. It's oh, scuba diving, it's his hobby. I thought he was in negotiations to, to sell Stop Hammer Time to, to a Middle Eastern oil family. Oh, uh, well, no. Um, uh, I was expecting actually you and I would, would then be sort of consigned to the yeah. dustbin of, of yeah. history yeah. in well. our places. Uh, Rubinho. Oh, right. Um, yeah. so, well, Phil, Godspeed. Um, and, and yes, the last time you will have heard, Phil, it was very much in the past, a completely different decade, back in uh, the old black and white days of uh, Manuel Pellegrini. You remember him, Jim? You remember uh, yep, yep, Pe- yep. Pellegrini? Yep. But today, Stop Hammer Time is coming at you from the future. It, it is now 2020. It's a new decade. And Jim, the soothsayers sayers of old said it many times and we didn't listen to them, but they were right all along. The future's bright. The future is is orange. That's right. We are now in the bright, lustrous, strawberry blonde days of David Moyes. Um, and Jim, I've got some stone cold facts for you here. West Ham are undefeated in the entirety of this decade so far. Jim, there's more. West Ham have not conceded a goal in the entirety of this decade so far. Pablo Zabaleta has scored in every single game he's played so far this decade. And even more extraordinarily, we've had the same manager for the entirety of this decade so far. So stats, Jim, you cannot argue with this. No. And, and I've given the game away here. We are joined by uh, Jim Grant, who was actually voted the sexiest West Ham fan of the last decade recently. So, Jim, again, huge <laughs> congratulations <laughs> from everybody at Stop Hammer right. Well, good uh, evening. We've got rather a lot to cover. Uh, we have, yeah. And I think let's start by looking back at the, the era of Manuel, the very well-paid gentleman. So, generally, Jim, how will you remember his not tenure? A, not a long era, we have to say, but uh, uh, quite an incident-packed one. Um, I, I remember, uh, uh, I'm not going to say I told you so, but uh, I remember feeling that we should have stuck with Moyes, um, uh, but at the same time catching the excitement of Pellegrini's appointment, a big-name manager who'd won things... Not only that, he'd built, you know, relatively small teams into successful teams in Spain. So the, the writing on the wall seemed good. And, um, and then we had those kind of first, those straight defeats, uh, four in a row. Yeah. And he just seemed unbothered by it. And he kept talking about, we've got to have an attitude of a big club. Um, and we played some, at times, fleetingly sexy football. Under Pellegrini, there were there were, there were and, and there were results you'll remember. You know the the away win at Tottenham, um, uh, beating beating Man United should have should have done the double over Man United uh, under him. Um, you know there, there were there were moments. The, the home game against um, Liverpool was was a, was a good yeah, performance. Absolutely. You know the one all, um, and then there were those awful cup. You know the awful cup defeats. Um, uh, and some really kind of you know really lacklustre. Dis- disorganized looking sort of stuff as well so it was an odd kind of mix of stuff and then 
this this season again, I didn't really feel we were going to be in any trouble. Uh, we we were optimistic about the signings that had been made. You felt, you know, looking at the kind of clips of Hannah, he looked like exactly the kind of player we needed. You thought Pellegrini will get a tune out of him. Um, we, uh, you know, and, and we started again with one or two good performances, good good home wins against um, Norwich and uh, Man United. Um, a good good away win at Watford. Um, and it was really when we lost that game at Oxford and 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 the injury and the injury to to Fabianski, uh, just it seemed to fall apart, you know, at a touch, didn't it? It seemed and clearly then you realised, oh, this is this this has been a thing built on sand and and absolutely it really hasn't been the kind of progression that you would have wanted. And I think it's actually sort of quite apt that we that the game that sealed it for him was a loss to Leicester's B team, where Leicester proved how, how good a club they are. Because their B team were essentially a bunch of really excellent fringe players that knew exactly what they were doing, that were hungry, that played in more or less exactly the same system as the A team. Whereas, you know, in that Oxford United game, we saw that our fringe players just weren't good enough. Even over, over the Christmas period, we saw that, you know, Masuaku can't defend. Zabaleta, God bless him, he's wonderful, and we'll talk about him shortly, but, you know, his legs, his legs have gone. Sanchez isn't particularly good at anything. Aleti can't score. So it, it, felt, it felt like, in, in a lot of ways, <clears throat> the Pellegrini era was slightly defined by a shininess up front, but just not much behind that shine. And a lack of interest in it as well. There was a sense that under him, you know, we, we signed this impressive young man, Diop, you know, but he didn't seem to get... Didn't he be getting better mm. as a player? Um, and uh, no, I, I agree. You know, some some exciting flair added up front, but never quite. You know, Anderson had that brief flourishing spell. You know, around about this time last year, didn't he? And just before, where he was um, started scoring for fun and was linking up with everyone. Um, but he seemed to have sort of gone off the ball. I mean, in that Leicester game, you know, there there they were. That, I mean, that was a team. That should have been there for the taking if there'd been anything like the application that there was against Bournemouth. Um, we probably would have won that. We scored, actually, a lovely goal yeah, against yeah. them. You know, the first time we attacked them with any kind of pace, Anderson went, went by a man, you know, nice little ball, slipped ball for, for four hours and a good finish, tidy finish, you know. Well, you can't just kind of turn it on just in these fleeting moments of, you know, you've got to be consistent, do the basics well not give the ball away stupidly, not give away goals from set pieces, you know, conceding yeah. goals from set pieces, being ineffective at our own set pieces, all the kinds of sort of basic things you get frustrated with. You know, he was almost like a kind of negative, like mirror image of Fat Sam, wasn't he? It's hmm. like kind of, you know, Sam would get you organised, do all the kind of boring things, score goals from corners because they've got routines worked out and all that kind of thing, but, but just give you dour, kind of lifeless... Uh, football, uh, Pellegrini, you know, wanted the team to go out and just express themselves. You felt and play, but wasn't giving them structure, focus, plans. Yeah. No sense that you're preparing for the next team with a kind of tactical plan to, to, yeah. to you know, none of this, you know, kind of Sam Allardyce or when I out tactic them. You know, I mean, there was none of that sense of of of, of actually kind of adapting your game to suit the circumstances. I, I think I, I think I'll look back on the. 
<clears throat> Pellegrini era as being quite sort of symbolic of, of where we are as a club. I, I, I think we were hoping for the kind of the Malaga incarnation of yeah. Pellegrini yeah, or yeah. Villarreal. You know, yeah. Let's, you know, we, we should. The, the, what he did at Man City is completely irrelevant. What he did previously, that, that Villarreal team that got to the semis of the Champions League with Raquel May, he got Malaga, I think, into the quarterfinals of the Champions League. You know, these are smaller, certainly, um, you know, they're smaller than West Ham, but they're probably of, of a similar um, echelon to, to West Ham within Spain. And he took them on to do extraordinary things. In reality, what we got was a player on his way down, a manager, sorry, on his way down via China. We'll talk about it later, obviously, but do we, are we also not, sort of vainly hankering after the Moyes of Everton. And are we... You know, oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, we not got another well, one this, on the you way know, continu- You know, <clears throat> continually, I think, our, our owners, it, it feels like their kind of knowledge of football is permanently suspended about three years previously to where you are at any moment. But, the, yeah, w- w- with Pellegrini, again, it felt like, you know, we'd moved into this big stadium and it felt like, right, we need to take our next step to this mystical next level that is permanently being talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And how do you do that? Oh, it's easy. You just get a big name manager like Pellegrini, who's won the Premier League before. He's managed Real Madrid. Whereas the reality is, if you really want to become a club that, that really challenges the, the, the top four, the top six, it's not about glitzy, blingy, big name players, signings, managers. It's about a structure, yes. and it's and it's about a system, and it's about and it's and that is something that comes from the very top. I look very sort of jealously over at what um, what's happening at uh, at Brighton with Graham Potter. You know, he, he he's this young, hungry, innovative manager. But crucially, it's not just a story of getting the manager right. In Tony Bloom, but behind him, they've got this very modern, innovative, almost sort of scientific owner. We are not that club. No. You know, Sullivan and Gold seem to kind of operate on hunch. And I think, you know, we can talk about how David Moyes is getting on so far shortly, but the fact that the only thing they could come up with when they realised that Pellegrini had to go was Moyes. I mean, you'd like to have thought that they were doing their work beforehand, scouring the leagues of Europe, maybe the lower divisions, to see who is the kind of interesting, young, innovative manager that we can come in and do a Graham Potter and revolutionise our football club. But I don't, I don't believe they've actually got that level of foresight and planning in them. Yeah, I, I mean, make a number of, I think, valid, valid points. I wonder if the modern game hasn't changed and that the idea of the manager who's going to build something... You've got Eddie Howe at Bournemouth, mm. clearly, as a, and Dyche at Burnley are examples of, play, of managers who are um, getting clubs to punch above their weight, both Absolutely. financially and in terms of kind of where they are historically in, term, in footballing terms. Um, but they are clearly not going to achieve next level. I mean, at some point, those two clubs are going to go down, aren't they? Uh, do you know what I mean? They're going to be they're part Bournemouth of, maybe this year. They're part yeah. of a merry-go-round that includes West Bromwich Albion, um, uh, you know, um, Norwich City, um, other clubs at the top of the you know Derby maybe. You know, other clubs that that have got resources, have got big tradition to a certain extent with fans and whatever. But you know, what, I think what West Ham fans were imagining next level, and it's a really kind of vacuous, <laughs> yeah. vague term, meant was a kind of regularly competing for European for European place. So top seven yeah. on a kind of really regular, consistent yeah. basis. And I think, um, you know, I think you need a combination of, you do need players, you do need top you know, money and top quality players to achieve that. And I think top quality players are have very short, 
duration of patience with managers in in those top clubs across Europe now. The kind of the age mm. of Fergie and um, and Wenger and people like that. It, it seems to have gone really. It's a much more kind of continental model of clubs that sort of shift their manager very very quickly. I mean, Watford have sort of survived in the Premier League for a few years doing that, exactly changing their manager on a regular basis. But again, I think actually Watford are a good example of a very modern football club who, who have got incredibly uh, lengthy scouting, scouting networks. They've yeah. got um, scouts everywhere. You know, they even, I think, I think they've got a, an affiliation with the football manager game and they, you know, part of the data scoured on behalf of football manager is shared with Watford. The Pozzos who own Watford and also own uh, Udinese, and I think they briefly uh, managed, uh, owned Granada, or maybe they still do. Um, they have a very clear business model, which is they find fantastic players all over the world. You know, they found Alexis Sanchez in, in, in Chile before taking him over to Udinese. They, there's plenty of, of, of players that they unearth and then sell on for profit. That's fine, and it's understandable, and, and it's not necessarily a club that I would like to support. However, there is a clear system and an identity there, and I'm not sure we have it. And I, and I, and I think that... Um, we can talk about this um, shortly. There was a fantastic article by uh, on the H list. Um, the blogger James yes, Kearns yeah. wrote about really what is what is it that, that, that the owners want. But I think it's briefly worth considering what is it that the fans want. Because I, I was someone asked me this recently. Um, what is it the West Ham fans want? I don't really want to take the step to the next level, whatever that is. I don't necessarily want to demand Champions League football. I want to see my team, more often than not, finishing the top half of the table with some really exciting attacking players. Um, and I don't think that's too much to ask. Whereas I almost wonder that in our owner's pursuit of this next level, we might end up getting relegated. Do you, do well, you know what I mean? Well, it's very likely. I mean, I think we're probably, <clears throat> we're probably in that... Um, collection of um of teams that that aren't you know that are probably on a rotation eventually every so often if you look at the history of the premier league we've we've been up and down a couple of times haven't yeah. we so um i think i think there's a lot of contradiction and confusion at the heart of the sort of culture of what west ham is as a club and has been and that's a combination of kind of history, of mythology. You know, it's beauty and the beast, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's beauty and the beast. It's the team, it's the club that won the World Cup, that, 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 that um, produced Bobby Moore and Trevor Brooking and Devonshire and, 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 and so on. But it's also the club which had the, the most notorious hooligan firm. It's also the club that, that, that loves its players to, 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 go, to go flying into tackles and, and also makes a hero out of, out of great players, but, also, but, but very different players in kind of Julian Dix and Billy Bonds and, um, uh, you know, and, and so that sort of player. And, and I think the, the, the tension between those things is partly what makes the club an exciting, an exciting club. Uh, uh, West Ham fans, exciting, interesting people to know. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that sort of sense of vainglory, that sort of sense <laughs> yeah. of, you know, only... It's, it's not many clubs that would make one of their most iconic moments the crowd singing at a 4-0 defeat in a cup semi-final. Yeah. You know, and there aren't many clubs that would have sung like that in support of yeah, their team. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, Spurs, Spurs would have emptied that stat. Spurs it's fans for, would have it, left that stat. It's there is a kind of culture. Hiding. I mean, I remember, yeah. you know, that first game, that first time we beat Spurs at the L- London Stadium, 
And the place really was rocking that night. It did have an atmosphere that night. And Lanzini scored. And uh, with about 10 minutes, quarter of an hour to go, I looked, it was only 1-0. I looked across and the Spurs section was virtually God, yeah. empty. Well, and when you, when and you that f- would not have been the case the other way around. Com- so, there is, so for me, always, the, 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 um, you know, growing up in a West Ham family, the, the club has always been more about the people who go, the people I meet when I go, the fans, the passion of it, the away support, which is kind of unstintingly loyal and committed. Um, and that's what keeps me going. And I would go, that doesn't, I wouldn't matter, it wouldn't matter to me which division we were playing in, I, 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 would, I would still go. But I understand the desire of the modern football fans, for any fans, to have some glory. I and mean, yeah, it's a long while well, since, it's 40 years. I know, and, year and you're right, like, you know, failure is baked into West Ham's DNA. You know, it's part of the kind of fortunes always hiding folklore of West Ham. And, and wasn't that what Pellegrini was sort of trying to address when he's saying we need to think like a big club? We need to be more like a big club. Yeah, and it didn't he work. Just, but it, well, he was run, trying to run before we could walk. As like you say, he wasn't putting any kind of structure in place. Well, I think... It was that, just buying a few fancy damn football. I know, but again, I, unfortunately, I think that, stuff. that's not necessarily Pellegrini's fault. I think it was their fault in appointing Pellegrini. I think it's the owner's short-termism. Yeah. And I think that it, it's... Look, you know, there is an... You know, the easy route to taking the next, to taking the next step and, you know, you know, becoming a big club in inverted commas is you buy shiny players. Yeah. And I mean, the premise of, of James's excellent H-list blog that you yeah, let's talk about that to is is that they are in it for the money purely, and that they are going to at the first opportunity. When I don't remember the the, the point is where they don't pay a twenty twenty one summer of twenty twenty one. Actually, isn't it twenty twenty three? Somebody told me. In fact, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the anyway. The what details. he says in the anyway, article is that they'll 20... sell it as soon as they aren't going to get penalised for selling it. Not pe- Well, they can sell it in the summer of 2021 without having to pay anything back to the public purse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, and, and it, it sort and of... That's ad- been the game plan. In a well, way. And, and it and sort of makes you realise that the, the 18-month contract with Moyes would run out at that point. And I wonder if that would then be the perfect stage for them to just sell. Because, you know, they, it also makes me think a lot about the you know Hasios, the director of football now the structure of a director of football is so is supposed to supersede the manager the, the, the director of football is supposed to appoint the, man, the the manager because the club has a structure and a style that it wants to play and you find a manager that can execute on that strategy now with Pellegrini for whatever reason we did it the other way around Pellegrini appointed his own director of football but again the fact that Hasios has now gone as well mm. shows this kind of short-termism and part of me does wonder whether the whole thing is building up to summer of 2021, Moyes has kept us up again because this is again what James Kern says on, on the H list. Yeah. Um, it's well worth googling the H list blogspot blog by James Kearns because he's sort of our, our sort of he's been a guest on the podcast. Yeah, he's our number times. one kind of terrorist yeah. essayist, isn't he? He's he a fantastic, very good essays. writer. Yeah, and the whole <clears> thrust <throat> of his article leads up to this idea that in 2021 they can sell. And reading it, I sort of felt like okay, that's when Moyes's contract will expire. That's when they can sell the club and the ground without paying anything back to the public purse. And if I was an, an acquirer of West Ham at that stage, it's quite a neat moment to buy a club, bring in your own manager, and away we go. Yeah. I, t- I, I, I think that, you know, it's very difficult to gainsay a lot of the things he says. He knows more about that, that sort of aspect of the workings of the club than, than I do. But I feel it, I, I feel it was unduly sort of apocalyptic, really. And... Um, I find it hard to accept. I can accept that they are greedy, not particularly nice uh, men. Um, I can accept that they are 
also to a degree kind of in, incompetent in many ways in terms of running running a football club. Um, but I do think at core, particularly in gold, there is a passion and there is a love. For I, that I think that's fine, but, that, but I just don't I, think I don't that's think enough. Not, I don't well, think that's no, enough. Possibly you're right. But they, I, they, I, they are they are analog owners in a digital age. I, I, I generally believe that. Like, do I think they are kind of like vampiric, blood sucking? Yeah, they're a, yeah, a bit rom manager, aren't they? They're a bit kind yeah. Belong to the age awful of the people. Coat. I, you know, yeah. I think I've met I've met Gold, and he seemed like a perfectly nice guy. Yeah. And unless we forget, we 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 they bought West Ham. Know, when we'd just been uh, bought by an Icelandic billionaire ten minutes before the bottom fell out of the Icelandic economy uh, yes. and the global economy, yes. um, and they and considering where we were when they bought us and where we are now, we are you know on paper certainly in, in a better position. Um, whatever you think about the move to the Olympic Stadium, personally, I hate it and, and, it, and it has changed West Ham for me. But you couldn't not take that deal if a deal was put in front of you. You know, the alternative narrative would have been. Uh, they were the owners that turned down West Ham's opportunity to move to the next level, etc. and so but forth. But I think if they were the kind of owner that you are describing, with a philosophy, with a kind of design, I think they would have understood the club and would have realised that redeveloping the Berlin was a viable option. Well, I don't, maybe. I don't accept the argument and maybe if it they... wasn't. There were plans. I remember seeing yeah. plans at the time of the bomb scheme for the redevelopment of the East Stand. So that had to have been seen, looked, looked at and seen through. The bus garage had been closed. Priory Road was therefore a dead space that you could have built on. Um, there was, you know, there was the old extra CT, old C2C line or whatever, the old football special line at the... Um, at the underground station, I, I just don't. I, you know, it was it was a club. Really, I mean, I went to Gillingham last night, and you know, uh, you know cranky old ground that is with the ridiculous scaffolding and no seat numbers on the seats and all that kind of bollocks. Um, it, walking through the terrace streets towards yeah, the floodlights with the smells of burger stands in the air, you know, it, well, and a tinny tannoy. And I'm no looking forward to the same at Bramall Lane on you Friday. Know, yeah. uh, it was that old school football experience that, you know, reaches back to, you know, I am, you know, get, I do get nostalgic about that kind of thing. And there are so few of those grounds left. Um, and it is a shame for when football clubs lose touch with with a sense of who they are as identity we i think the fans make the club and i think there are enough fans still going well unfortunately there are people who don't go anymore who used to go to berlin i think enough still go and enough still are making it what it is particularly as an away fan oh the away Um, support will never change yeah well you know even that the issue there are there are there are issues right on there about getting hold of tickets and the way they're distributed and so on yeah but still know. like we're, we're never not going to sell out an away end and no, i think that no. that is where you you almost find the kind of you know the the never dying soul of a club isn't it? it's a way support um but but just quickly going back to golden sullivan i i, I think that we should be you know then they're not awful they've been good for us they are you know they they will probably be associated with the move to olympic stadium forevermore and maybe we'll be cast as villains because of that but the reality is they're not, they're not horrendous they've, they've brought us some decent players and they have invested the, the issue is i just think that they it feels like they you know football is leaving them behind and, and and i think we go in two directions one of two directions either they pass it on to their kids 
And maybe they are smart enough and wise enough to realise, hold on, we need to get some real experts in, in here and a director of football and a managing director, whatever it is. Or we then sell and the kind of potential Man City scenario takes place where they are now... You know, Man City is an extraordinarily well-run club. You know, they really, have, from top to bottom, from their scouting networks to their youth teams to the managers to the kind of you know, fleet of, of, of assistant coaches and managers that, that Guardiola has behind him, you know, they might be owned by a fairly reprehensible well, that, oil state, but the people issue? managing the actual club... Yeah. Oh, of course it is, of course it is. Anyway, listen, I, I think that um, it's probably... We've probably been quite doing gloom so far. Oh, so far, yeah. and, and that's understandable. I, I think... Potentially, in, in the second half of the pod, we should talk about what has happened yeah. since the new year. Yeah. Because I mean, we're not going to talk too much about the, the, the two football matches that Pellegrini lost at the end of his uh, career, are we? I mean, I've, I think I've almost we're not talking about going, going, going one nil up and almost almost knowing that you're going to lose, as is the case was with Palace. Palace. Yeah, absolutely um, right. Yeah. But two well crafted goals. I mean, Snodgrass took his goal really well at Palace. You know, and it was you know. That was a game where, you know, we were in it and just just fell apart again. You know, just lack of seeing things through. Um, I, I have got a poem. Oh, please. Yeah, Jim. Pellegrini. So I've got a farewell. So, so should we say farewell, farewell to, to Pellegrini, Pellegrini with the poem? Please do. Um, it's a bit rough and ready and, and, and probably kind of more of a first draft in some respects. Go but, for it. Uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's about saying goodbye to Pellegrini. Hasn't got a title yet. Good riddance, Pellegrini. Don't want to be a meanie, but we'd had it up to here with your perverse decisions. It's hard to take when a manager makes his players worse, creating a sow's ear from Anderson's silk purse, testing our iron constitutions with baffling substitutions, spreading disaffection and dejection like some infection with illogical selections, which seemed to mean Sebastian Haller had to play in quarantine. Oh, how it frustrated! seeing a striker so isolated when Roberto couldn't even catch a cold. And so entropy took hold. And even plastics with no idea of tactics could see you lurching to disaster ever faster, searching for a plot so lost you couldn't make it up. But not so long ago... You had us dreaming with your seeming self-assurance. When even without Sanchez you lost your first four matches, so what? (laughs) No kerfuffle, it didn't ruffle your steely Latin locks. We gagged for sexy football and swallowed your big club bollocks. But how soon you made us frigid with your unfathomably rigid adherence to a flat back four. We wanted more, but it cannot be denied. However hard you tried, going down on a 4-0 at the Kassam is worse than being shagged by Big Fat Sam. Oh! <laughs> um, Jim, that was beautiful. There was a tear in my eye. Uh, you managed to make uh, a forgettable tenure uh, <laughs> deeply romantic and sad and poignant. Yeah. Um, okay. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan. Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime. Cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbott, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, 
a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, wherever you get yours. Today's podcast is brought to you by Pickfair. That's P-I-C-F-A-I-R.com. Pickfair is a beautifully simple way to sell your images. It's used by over 100,000 photographers worldwide. It's a free platform that allows any photographer, from complete amateurs to seasoned professionals, to sell their images to anyone. It's incredibly simple. You upload your images, you name your price, and they then appear on your own personal online store and in Pickfair's central marketplace, where photographers have sold images to the likes of National Geographic, Visit Britain, The Guardian, and many more. Customers can also buy your images as beautiful prints and canvases, and Pickfair does all of the production and shipping for you. So if you're a photographer wondering what to do with all of the beautiful images you've got lying around on your hard drive, go to pickfair.com and start selling them to the world. Also, by the way, Pickfair's founder is a West Ham fan and has been a season ticket holder for over 25 years. True story, Jim. Excellent. True story. Incredibly well, I think I might know him. Eloquent and handsome and mm. just an all-round great egg. That's what, that's what, that's what I've heard. Um, yeah, no, he's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, he's right, man. Jim. Hello. We've done a bit of doom and gloom around yeah. the fact that the Pellegrini thing didn't work. And yes, it feels a little bit sort of lazy and unimaginative that we've gone back to David Moyes, who the, the owners explicitly said was not high calibre enough for the club yeah. when they got rid of him and, and replaced <clears throat> him with Pellegrini. But what is indisputable is that two results since he's come in have been pretty encouraging. We had performances the 4-0 well. win against Bournemouth, admittedly a crap yeah. Bournemouth, but, but a 4-0 win nonetheless. And then last night, which I actually think was almost more impressive, the 2-0 the, the win away at Gillingham. Yes, I've read, a, well, we could perhaps start with that. I mean, because I, I did go to that. Um, and uh, I think I've read quite a lot of sort of um, comments on it, on, you know, online and various places saying, you know, it wasn't actually a very good performance. First half, that or was Gillingham. absolutely true. Yeah, at Gillingham. First half, it was true. I think we were poor first half. And we set up with the back three, which is, I suspect, looked like a horse for the course, but also possibly is the way, given his record previously, he might want to go. Um, set up with the back three. But in the, in, in the first half, it was a kind of t- it, what looked like a fairly typical kind of West Ham against lower league opposition performance. A lot of aimless um, passing across that back three, attempting to keep the ball on the deck, not really competing, not winning second balls. They were up for it, had a bit of energy. They had a succession of sort of corners. They got long throw guy who who uh, yeah. was good. And they um, knew this. It, and, but, yeah. but they weren't a team of giants, and we dominated them in the air. And, and our three centre backs, our three centre backs, and Haller won a lot of defensive hands. He as really well. did contribute yeah. defensively, didn't he? Um, and but we would, you know, I was there with Gordon Thrower from Knees Up Mother Brown, and and, and you know, we said, "Hold on, well, he's really got, you know, we're going to lose this if we carry on like this." He needs the manager needs to sort them out, and they came out. I felt transformed in the second half. We we we, uh, we, we cut out the passing across the back throw. We went, went more direct, knocked the ball forward longer. Where we had Anderson and Haller's pace to you know to threaten uh, their attack. Haller should have scored very very early on. Looks like a terrible miss. It was right in front of me. I was I was you know 
25 yards from that. Yeah, yeah. And it took a horrible bubble. Yeah, just they showed it on the replay. It was just a horrible as he bubble. was about to hit it. And the commentator just you know, didn't mention it. I was watching it on telly, yeah. Really, really horrible. And uh, the, the, pi- the, the pitch was dreadful. Horrendous. Again, I mean, everything really about the game, telly. which I enjoyed in many ways, was a throwback to old football. But I wonder whether they they hadn't rolled it or something like that. It was, you could see, it was, you couldn't pass the ball on the ground without it bobbling all over the place. And uh, that definitely was um, a factor. And also, I think we, we, in the first half, we didn't play with long enough studs in the boots because uh, Declan Rice was slipping over the place. So was Halle. Well, if the ground's loose, there's not much you can do about it. No, maybe not, maybe not. But we uh, we just... Uh, we had we played with more energy and and and, gut, and stopped moaning about. In the first half, there was a lot of kind of moaning at referees and yeah, yeah, Lionels yeah. not giving you little nudges and decisions. You've just got to battle against these teams and put up with that. And we did that in the second half. Um, it was very comfortable in that second half. I know we didn't score till late on, um, but we threatened to score throughout. I, I, I saw I saw dominated the, possession. I saw the game slightly differently and I actually thought in the first half I thought Gillingham were excellent. I thought they did exactly what a League One team generally does in the cup against the Premier League team when they are absolutely fired up. Their energy levels were fairly extraordinary in, in, in that first half because it was they're playing on BT Sport uh, you know, FA Cup, you know, third round playing against a Premier League team, and they absolutely they they, they worked harder than. But us. we didn't turn them around. No, we didn't turn them around. We started no, playing no, the ball no, longer no, and more fair. direct and quicker. But I think the kind of retrospective narrative and we of have this more game. Pace than them. Sure, yeah, but I think the retrospective narrative of this game was they are going to be massively up for it. It's going to be incredibly tough. We've got to hold in there until they tire out, and then we'll exploit them on the break or exploit the gaps because we're better than them. And that's exactly what happened. And actually, I found myself thinking that that's exactly the kind of thing that wouldn't have happened under Pellegrini. And the thing that I thought was really impressive, I really enjoyed seeing uh, Ogbonna, Balbuena, Diop and, and Rice getting really stuck in and trying to win every header and every tackle. You know, helpfully, you know, optically, it was quite cool that Declan Rice ends up with a black eye and a cut above it. They showed that we're not... Yeah, we're Balbuena not, got, a cut, got, got bloodied as well. Brilliant. Yeah. See, we're, we're not, we are not too proud to absolutely scrap it with this team who are going hell for leather. And then eventually we've got to hope that, whether it's Anderson, whether it's Allaire, whether it's Fornals, whether it's Lanzini, someone's going to have the quality to, to open this up. And I think with the... Was it the, was it the second... No, the first goal, sorry. Zabaleta scored it, but it was all about that Anderson pass. That, oh, that and, and Masuaku. He's interplayed with Masuaku. Anderson was excellent in the second half, especially. You know, he's, he's becoming a little bit of a whipping boy for fans because oh, they're yeah, expecting yeah. great things of him all the time. He has been disappointing this season. There's no, there's no question about it. Yeah. And he does lack a kind of, you know, we've mentioned this loads of times, you know, on the podcast, he lacks a kind of swagger and whatever. But he's a talented, talented player, and he bossed that. He bossed the, that second. We bossed that second half completely, um, uh, and we played with much, much more intensity and pace. We shifted the ball quicker. We got it forward quicker. Masuaku was excellent, uh, having struggled a little bit in the first half, um, and. Um, you know, Fornals coming on uh, made us better. I mean, I did that little bit. I do hope pass. and pray that Anderson is getting his sort of vim back. I actually thought that when he came on against Palace, he was the best player on the pitch. And he started really carving, carving Palace's back. I know, but he had that kind of confidence. He was 
beating players. And then we saw a little bit more of that against um, Bournemouth. I, I wondered whether Moyes had given him a completely free role against Bournemouth because well, it was all over he, the he place. He put him more central, didn't he? And, and he's, been, he's, he's clearly putting him up, up front sort of alongside Allaire, who was also, I thought, put in a shift last night and worked hard. I thought, mm. you know, he was good. Um, you know, recovered from that, from that miss. Um, hit the post from a narrow angle just shortly after, you know, and was, you know, gave them tr- trouble. They really, they really gave their centre halves a nightmare time. In the and the half. last time Moyes As came to expect. West Ham, the last time Moyes came to West Ham, he transformed or he almost made a centre forward in Arnautovic. Arnautovic yeah. I really hope that he is able to have some sort of similar effect with Allaire because I was having this discussion with my cousin last night. Um, I'm very encouraged by Allaire. I've seen things that make me encouraged by Allaire. However, I don't yet think we've got our money's worth. Uh, at the moment, yeah. it feels like, you know, we, we, you know, 40 million... Put it this way. If so, we paid 40 million pounds for him. If someone was to offer me 35 million pounds for him, I'd take it right now. Now, I still believe that there is a, definitely a player... Because he's got kind of everything. He's got the physicality. He's got the quality. I remember his bicycle kicking He's not Bournemouth. got electric pace. He's not got No, but I don't pace. necessarily... I, I think as a kind of hold-up-the-ball... Centre forward. Hey, okay, right. Look at the other expensive centre forwards brought into the league yeah, this no, year. He's doing look his... at look at Wesley. Look at Joel yeah. Linton at Newcastle, and he is yeah. far outstripped them. It's a hard job being that num- yeah. that solo striker in a kind of fourth, you know, ostensibly a four-three-three formation. It's very rare that you get the kind of you know the Drogbas who can be yeah. the kind of centre man and, and also get twenty-five goals a season. Yeah. So. I think what I was hoping from Allaire this season, and it still might happen, is that I want him to get 10 goals. I want him to just be that player at least and get over 10 goals, but I also then want 10 assists. You know, I want him to have contributed to at least 20 goals by the end of the season, and we, we have to wait and see with that. And I do really, really hope that Moyes or someone with Moyes is going to work on him. Because this is a 20, was he 24, 25? He's not, no, he's not old. He's not old. There is, you know, there's certainly more to be kind of chiselled out of this of this player so um we we we, we have to see but I, I i think i'm i'm straight down the middle with, with Allaire in terms of being him being a success or a failure um i don't think he's been a failure i don't think he's been a success he's been sort of par four so nails i think he'll be I, I, i'll better, judge him on next season so so let's let's uh, let's move on slightly to what's going on as we speak in the transfer window because I think it's quite interesting that we are clearly looking at central midfield as, as an area to target. Um, the, the player that is probably exciting most of the fans, certainly on social media, is Gedson uh, Fernandez. Yeah. Um, Have you seen anything of him? No. He, he's very young. He's, he's 20. Incredibly highly rated last season, but has since kind of fallen down the pecking order this year. At, I think it's Benfica. Maybe, maybe I'm getting that wrong. Um, which slightly worries me. Apparently he's got a yeah. 102 million euros uh, release clause. I assume we're not going to be paying that. And, and apparently the, the option out there is that we can get him on loan for 18 months with an option for, to buy for about 35, 40 million euros. And um, we are, you know, he's been looked at by Man United in the past. We are somewhat predictably locked in a bit of a battle with Everton to, to, to get his signature. I remember seeing somewhere someone saying it might be nonsense that he's got, his mother lives he in London. He wants to go to London, yeah. Something like that. Um, but it seems, that what, what I think is more interesting, who, God knows if he's going to be any good, is that the kind of player he is is a kind of all-round box-to-box midfielder. Essentially, potentially a bit of a Mark Noble replacement or, or, or a kind yeah, of Yeah, because he's not a big guy, version. is he? He's, no. He's, he's, he's a, not a, a whippet of a... He's not a Declan Rice, who is a defensive no. midfielder. He's not yeah. a Lanzini, who's an attacking midfielder. He's kind of that bit in between. So yeah. I, probably, probably a Noble replacement. What I, what I would say is that 
I, I also wonder if they're starting to lose faith in Lanzini a little bit. Because there's also, there's a few other attacking midfielders they're looking for in that, in that area. Um, uh, apparently we're looking at a Marseille player, Morgan Sanson, who's much more of an attacking midfielder. It suggests they're not convinced about Lanzini. And I do wonder if they might think that Fornals is going to be a better bet going forward than Lanzini as a kind of attacking Well, he fielder. looks... He's, he's bigger, isn't he? And more robust um, in that sense. Um, I think there's... Uh, Lanzini has definitely struggled with, you know, since he's got injured on a, a couple of times, hasn't he? He had a difficult first half last, but grew into the game. I was quite... I half expected him to be substituted at half-time. I also expected Fornals to come on for him, but he came on for Snodgrass. Which I think is the right one. Which was, I, you know... And, I and, love Snoddy, and, and but I, I don't... That was, a good, that was a good sign in the sense that it was backing Lanzini. I think, I think we've got to be patient with Lanzini. I think he, get, he, he needs a, a run at it. He needs to... Uh, I think he can get back to where he was. He's not. He's not. He's and not, Moyes has seen him at his best. And he's, you know, yeah. you know, he's a diamond. A few seasons ago, he was just mustard, wasn't he? The you other know. player that I'm not sure what we do with him now is Antonio, because in in the games towards the end of the Pellegrini era, he was almost the only positive. Yeah. You know, he 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 was showing at times that he's one of these kind of new breed of attacking. You know, mostly wide players in the league. Didn't, he was not that dissimilar to a sort of a Dama Traore performance where he's so strong and so quick and so skillful yeah. that at times he can be completely unplayable. And I was thinking, hold on, you know, if we can, if we can really keep him fit for a little while, then we might have some, you know, this might be the time that Antonio becomes West Ham's most important player. And then, of course, he gets injured. And I kind of want, do you think he now gets back into our side if he's fit? Possibly. He can get, he where? Can, uh, he possibly plays. Um, it depends. What, well, it depends whether Moyes is going to move to this three at the back system or oh, not. Oh, do you think that might actually be? Because it, I think well, I what think he's, he's done it before. Forward. Those three looked quite a powerful unit as a back three with Ogbonna on the left, Balbuena yeah. running it in the middle, Diop with pace and energy on, on the right lost the header to cover night. to cover the right yeah. block. Right back. I, you know, we got we've got the three quality players there to do that. Um, and it depends whether you play sort of two to sit in front of him, or if it's just Rice who sits in front, and then you've got two midfielders. Um, then Antonio either comes in as comes in as as as, as a, a strike partner to. But Anderson to, looks to, like he's got to, that role now. Well, but Anderson could play could play in a free role behind them, or play slightly wider, yeah, with slightly wider. Or does he go back to the uh, Antonio wing back uh, oh, thing? You know? Well, do you know what I, I actually reckon that. The peaks that we saw from Antonio in the, in, in the few games where Pellegrini went were, were so exciting that I'd just get him anywhere on the pitch. I think he's one of these players that if you are a defender, you are petrified of him. Yeah. And, 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 and I just, I, unfortunately, I think that he's almost, his physique is so uh, anomalous almost. That he's so strong and he's so fast. That I think he's such a finely tuned. Yes, he is fine. You know, yeah, no, uh, such a finely tuned instrument that is like a, a finely tuned Lamborghini. Exactly. And you've got to be careful yeah. what you what you do with it. Um, right. <laughs> uh, everybody around me was obviously very worried about Fredericks going off and Zabaleta coming on. But in, but in fact, in that role where Zabaleta's not got to be tracking back, whatever, oh, he point. had a very good game. I think the same and about Masuaku. I think, as long as I he's think, not defending, he's a decent player. I think he's outstanding as a left wing back because as a left wing back only. Not yeah, as exactly, a left no, back. totally. Yeah. I totally agree, and I think that's been you know he 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 flourished under Moyes in that in that role. And I think I, I think unfortunately Zabaleta, we, we've it's almost unfair. The two games he started this year have been against. 
Alanson Maximum at Newcastle, who's electric, and Wilfred Zahar against Palace, who's electric. Yeah, yeah. And it has, unfortunately, exposed the fact that he's, he's, you know, he's slow. Of course he's slow. We know this. He's 34 years old. I think... So, so let's talk about some of the other signings we've been linked with. I don't know if this is just, you know, fanciful, but I saw it on um, Football.London with Sam Incasol that we're potentially interested in Max Aarons at... Um, Norwich, I think there's no way that they'd let him go halfway through the season. He's not even Doesn't particularly seem like good. You know? it? I, saw, I was at the under-21s in the summer. Uh, Max Aarons was right back onto the France game, and I thought he was pretty average. He's done all right in the Premier League. The other one is Javier Manquillo um, at Newcastle, a game we've been linked with. This was um, Roshane Thomas in The Athletic, who's well worth a follow. Um, hopefully we'll get on the pod soon, actually. Um, right. Uh, I, I think we, we need a new right-back. We can't solely rely on, on Well, especially on now out... Yeah. For the for the for a while. Do you know what, Jim? You make a very good point. Could it be that after all these years, it ends up being Antonio back at right back, uh, right wing back? Yeah, I right think, wing back. I, th- sorry, I, think yeah. It, I think. Well, I think it, I, you know. I think it potentially it might actually work. Uh, now. Might happen. Who, where else do you think we need? Where do we need? Well, we've been crying out, and I've been saying it. I I I can't remember when I first started saying this, but we have needed central midfield dynamism and legs and energy and central midfield for a long long time now even when we had uh kayati and and obiang Mm. i still felt it was an area where we needed at least backup so maybe Um, this is this is having sold those two and not really replaced them i mean i mean um you know i like sanchez can i like funners oh well yeah i mean sanchez was stupid is yeah i don't know what uh, he offers uh, nothing no, i can't no. think of a single positive thing he's done for west ham Getson fernandez sound like he might be the player you're talking about from yeah, the bits i've be. read yeah, might be. he's box to box he's energetic he's young he can attack he can, the he can big defend. the big upgrade we need and and it's uh, it's not disloyal to say it because i i love nobs of course he's, he's always going to be part you know he's going to be part of the squad for a while yeah and would we'll still get game time yeah oh, absolutely but He's he can't play week in week out no. at this level. No, that kind of energy. Not. He he puts in one in four or five games. He's outstanding. Do you know? When, do you know when I play Mike but Noble? There when are times in, where we just get overrun in midfield. Don't I we? play him when we're in trouble. So I, I often, like, you know, it, it, let's say we do get in a kind of brilliant box to box central midfielder um, who then takes Noble's place. If we then lose a couple of games, that's when Noble comes in because he is that kind of galvanising leader and and and, and actually. I think I've, I've realised the importance of Noble because of seeing the inverse of other clubs. You look at a club like Arsenal, there's not a single leader in that squad. Imagine if they had, you know, obviously Noble's not going to get into Arsenal's team, but somebody with those kind of leadership qualities. Manchester United, another club, club that are absolutely crying out. No. Well, you say he wouldn't get into the team, but to be honest... You know, they could have done with him the last few years. I mean, as a, not like, necessarily know, as a player, but as a leader. Of, yeah. As a leader. So, so the other central midfielder being linked with is Joe Allen. Apparently put in an £8 million bid. I like, I've always liked Joe Allen. Well, I, if he's a replacement, if he's, if, he's, if he's to be noble standing or a replacement for Sanchez, that's okay. But that's not okay if he's, he's going to be supposedly the upgrade on what we have in midfield. Because yeah. he's basically Mark Noble. For a bit of fun, um, let's look at the um, nonsense names we've been linked to. So one is Gabriel Barbosa, Gab- Gabby Goal, who's owned by Inter Milan, but currently on loan at Flamengo. He's, he's the guy that scored the winning goals in the Copa Libertadores final. He's probably the most famous domestically playing South American footballer. I'd be very surprised if we bought him because he'd just sit on the bench. You know, he's not going to be first choice above Ale. He's 23 years old. Not going to happen. The other stupid, ridiculous... Well, um, unless we regularly play two up front. 
Okay, fair point. So actually, Ale so and Gabby get, go off. Because, we 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 um, you know, obviously, Ale did play with a strike partner at, at Frankfurt. Yeah, fair, it was, sort of played with two. With um, it was it was Jovic. And I mean, we definitely Rebic, played with two. Yeah. I mean, last night and and well, I would say you know, Anderson played as a second striker. I do sometimes wonder if if four four two or two up front is almost a kind of. Now, a counterintuitive forward line, whereas it used to be the standard. Now mm. that most teams play three up front and most de- defences will be preparing for three up front, if they've suddenly got two in the middle, it's a slightly different prospect for them. Um, the, the other interesting one, just, just before we move into, into potential outgoings, and actually he's one, is Connor Coventry. I'm pleased that he signed yeah. a new deal. And he, um, he apparently, uh, Celtic were sniffing around. They wanted right, to get okay. Connor Coventry. Um, he is one of a few players that I really want to go out on loan. I think um, Nathan Holland is another one. He apparently, for the under-23s tonight, scored an absolute screamer. Yeah, he's And it good. seems like he's every highlight read I see of yeah. the under-23s, he yeah. always seems like the standout player. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see him go on loan. I'd like to see him do a bit of a Dian Garner, you know, going, going yeah. on, a, on, on Talking um, of Dian Garner, we have West Brom in the... We do. In the cup. Very interesting question. How will Billich be received back at West Ham? Well, I think yeah, he's always, I think he's always much loved as yeah. a player. It was it was such a shame things went went wrong for him. But I mean, I felt you felt you felt he was more than more than most undermined by by Golden Sullivan, I think. And um, you know, and the whole kind of messy move to the stadium, um, kind of business with Pyatt and whatever. You know, it felt it's, you know, yeah. having had that fantastic last season. At the uh, at the at Upton Park and and you know having Pyatt and, and having such a great team that probably should have finished higher than it than it did in the end. Question, Jim: um, Who would you prefer as manager, Billich or Moyes? Oh, that's uh, for me. Having seen what Billich is doing at West Brom, I tight, quite I'd go tight, Billich. I got a tight call. Well, listening to quite, quite what some people have said about this, Jacob had a. Steinberg is often on the podcast. He had quite a dim view of of Billich, and he gets closer to these sorts of things. Um, I don't. I, I don't know. I've always felt with managers that that, that they probably, um, in essence, make make in the long run make less difference than we tend to imagine they make. Um, and most of them that get to a point where they've got a club at this level are probably pretty decent at what they do. Um, and I always feel the thing that they don't get in the modern game that you do need is is time to develop something and build something and put a stamp on sure, it. Yeah. And I felt that was sort of kind of circumstances cut Billich off in his prime. As well. But I felt when he came into the club, he was a breath of fresh air. The tactics, the thinking about the game, that victory at Arsenal where he put Oxford oh, yeah, in front yeah. of the back four, the um, the you know the, the the football we played in those away wins at Man City and at, and at, and at Liverpool, um, you know the kind of kind of interplay between Pyatt and Lanzini. And oh, Liverpool I think whatever. I've been going we to West, the, yeah. some of the best football I've, I've, I've seen. I've been going at West to West Ham. Ham well, this village. is the point. I think I've been going to West Ham properly since <clears> sort of mid nineties. And there are two teams that really stand out to me as teams that were the best two teams I saw. One was the De Canio team under Redknapp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second was the Billich team under Pae. Yeah. You know, those were the two best teams I've seen in 25 years at West Ham. Yeah. And, and now seeing what he's been able to do at West Brom, 
I do sort of wonder, like, did we go back to the wrong former manager? You know, obviously he's not going to leave West Brom halfway through the season, but um, I, sort of, I sort of hope that the owners put an arm around him when he comes back. I and... don't think so, because I think it went wrong for Billich. It didn't actually go wrong for Moyes at West Ham. True, and I think it in this scenario, who do you want to dig you out of a broken. relegation battle? It wasn't broken. It didn't need... It didn't need that degree of fixing as and, I, and I think yeah to dig you out of a, of a relegation battle Moyes is better than Billich um, let's, let's just finish talking about the game uh, on Friday night uh, uh, Sheffield United yeah. you, you're, uh, you're... well thank you television schedulers again yeah. my two tickets and I can't use I can't, I can't go I can't, I just, you know, I'm working I can't get there there's no trains back yeah, so you know even if I could so I'm, go, I'm train, going up with my um, 18 year old my 18 year old nephew this is his 18th birthday present Brilliant. what more does an 18 year old want to do on a Friday night than go oh, to Sheffield my dream uh, to watch West Ham um, but actually that's the point if anyone wants your tickets I'm going to have them on me so yeah so, they, yeah, so they are they are find available. me on Twitter which is yeah. at Benji Laniardo yeah. um, and if you can meet me up there then I've, yeah, I've got the tickets um, what do you reckon I, I, I'm I'm really excited by this game. I hope there's a bit of momentum now. It's the kind of game, again, we would have lost this game under Pellegrini, 100%. What do you reckon? Well, we didn't lose the home game. Uh, under but we, him, we, we? On, a fr- uh, on a Friday uh, night on telly um, up in yeah. Sheffield, we would have lost that. I, said, I think it's still a tough game. I oh, think 100%. It's, I think it's really, really different game. I'd be very pleased with the point. Um, I think he probably will put, start the back start with the back three well in which case it would, um, it would mirror their team because I think they are the kind of most interesting 3-5-2 team they, in the league they play sort of um, yeah, overlapping centre backs well which was not a million well, miles away from what Diop was doing well that that's, was very clearly what I, you know I felt in the first half I felt okay these three guys they're playing the back three like they're in a back two like they're centre backs yeah that's they're right just passing it between them a lot and inviting the press onto them instead of getting it past the press or bringing the ball out time they, they had space in front of them to bring the ball and the big difference in the second half was that they either they either um, hit it long and, and they've got but they're good decent long passes um, but they also uh, brought the ball out from defence occasionally all of them, uh, and uh, you know, I think that they grow into playing that that formation. They've got to learn it a little bit. Um, Ogbonna played it as a central player under under Moyes, but yeah. not as not on the whole. Well, listen, we'll, we'll find out whether it was was the. Um the Gillingham formation, an opportunity for Moyes to try it out try in a out. game think, against a weaker so. team that you think, I think so. or is it actually the beginning of something? I think we'll see. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Part of me does I think Fornals will start. Do you? Yeah. Um, instead of who? Instead of Snodgrass? Probably instead of Snodgrass. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. he definitely All seems like he's starting to come into it. Jim, I want a score prediction. I think it's going to be another one-all. I think we're going to get... I think, we're, I think it'll be one-all again. I think we're going to win. I think it's going to be... 2-1 West Ham. Mm. I, feel, I feel as if there's a bit of momentum going in now. Did you, am I right in saying Sheffield United lost in the cup? Or, or am I no, right they beat Fylde. They oh, beat they the beat non-league Fylde, team. But 2-1, they struggled a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think that... And previously they'd lost to Liverpool over the Christmas period. Yeah, but but everyone, yeah, everyone loses to Liverpool. Anyway, I, I, I think that, um, as I say, it's a team that, that uh, we would have probably lost to on the Pellegrini. I wonder if with this... You know, however long it lasts, we, we don't know. But under Moyes, I think we've got a chance here. Um, okay. Uh, we've been Stop Hammer Time. A huge thank you to Jim Grant. Cheerio. I've been Benji Laniardo. Come on, you irons. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. 
Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.